0: The thing that gave me my aha moment was in 2015, when the US Census said all the boomers were going to be out of the workplace by 2030. And I thought, wow, I mean, I've been working in corporate training and development for 20, 25 years, and we are not doing enough to prepare the future leaders to be leaders.
1: Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Nanette Miner. She's a leadership development and workplace learning strategy consultant. Through her firm, The Training Doctor, she has revolutionized the way that individuals are prepared for leadership roles in their organization. She is also the author of eight books. Her most recent is The Future Proofing Your Organization. Welcome to the show, Nanette.
0: Thank you, Todd. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, well, how'd you get into this industry to begin with?
0: Um, well, I've been in it almost 30 years. So it's kind of hard to remember. I, um, you know, started in most people who come into training and development do it by accident. Um, because there's really no degree programs for it. And when you're young, you don't even know that's actually an industry. I mean, I talk to people all the time and they're amazed that, you know, I'm like, you remember that college class you took? I do that, but in corporate America. And they're like, oh, I guess somebody does have to design that. (laughs) So I just kind of grew into it when I was working in, you know, my first corporate job, I we got promoted to a manager. As as my managerial duties, I had to train new employees. And I just really liked when they had that aha moment. And so I went and got a master's in training and development. And then I really liked the fact that it was more important in my mind to design the training well than to deliver it well, because there's a lot of good people out there who can deliver training, but to design it in a way that people can not only learn it, but learn it quickly learn it thoroughly and actually apply it back on the job, I didn't see a lot of that happening. So then I got a doctorate in adult learning theory, and it's been off to the races since then. And, and, and lately, the, my passion for the last five, seven years has been um, focusing solely on leadership development, because I, I think all of corporate America is in a crisis, and they just haven't seen it yet. They haven't realized it, but I think we're on a precipice.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So why the crisis then?
0: Well, a couple of things, the economy's been going along, chugging along nicely, right? So (laughs) if if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? So people aren't thinking far enough ahead. I do think, not necessarily in in the world of construction, but in the corporate world, that um, quarterly push to always make numbers is more important you know, people are just looking too short-term. They're not saying, what's gonna happen in five years? What's gonna happen in 10 years? Is this still gonna be viable for us? And then the biggest problem was, The thing that gave me my aha moment was in 2015 when the U.S. Census said all the boomers were going to be out of the workplace by 2030. And I thought, wow, I mean, I've been working in corporate training and development for 20, 25 years, and we are not doing enough to prepare the future leaders to be leaders. And the reason for that was that boomer generation was so big that even if an older boomer retired, they were replaced by another boomer. So, you know, and plus people were on jobs much longer, right? In the, in the past, our parents stayed on the job 30, 40 years. And so you grew into a leadership role. You understood the organization. You knew its values. You knew its culture. You had models ahead of you who were leaders. And so if you were good at leadership and you liked it, you would slowly rise up in the ranks. And that's not how leadership happens anymore. You know, people are job, but that's not work happens anymore. People are moving around from job to job all the time. And if they get any training, it's, you know, it's sporadic. There's no continuity
1: to it mm, that's interesting yeah it, you know as that that job hopping uh trend really is taking more root all the time <laughs> uh you're getting these kind of piecemeals of the training programs too and different cultural styles and kind of slants on that training so you you're not able to develop them how uh right. the, the particular organization views leadership, right. but they're, they're coming right. in with a, just a mosaic of, of leadership skills and, and training.
0: Yeah. And then when you hire somebody in from the outside to be a leader, a lot of times they change your culture. A lot of times they fight your culture or a lot of times they just flame out. I mean, a lot of CEOs who've brought it been brought into companies from outside flame out in 18 months. That's the actual majority of, of, um, CEOs who come in from the outside.
1: Really? Instead of coming up yeah. through the ranks. Interesting.
0: Yeah. In Fortune 500 companies, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, why do you think that is just the, the cultural differences or is there something I, I else? Do, yeah.
0: Like you said, they didn't grow up in the organization. So, you know, if, again, if things are moving along nicely and somebody comes in who may have better ideas, but they want to change everything up in the next two or three years, people are going to resist that. People don't like change. That's why in my what? mind. Start, <laughs> Construction loves change. So. <laughs> well, yeah, they embrace it. I don't know that they love it, but it is what it is. But um, if you come up in the organization, you know, it's like boiling that frog in the hot water, right? You don't realize that you're being indoctrinated into values and goals and the vision of the organization and you just, you adopt it.
1: But yeah. if you come
0: in from the outside and you see things differently and you say, oh, I think I have a better way. People are not not generally on board with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, how do you get the next generation of leadership really prepared to, to handle that new role? and you know, kind of ensure as best you can, that smooth transition of leadership, you know, what's the, what's the best advice for developing the future leaders?
0: So the best advice is to do it in-house and keep it in-house. I mean, not necessarily, you know, you have to do all the training yourself because that's not a forte of this industry, mm-hmm. but you have to give professional development, offer professional development to your employees consistently and long-term because, leadership development is a behavior change or, or a behavior to begin with. And the hardest thing to do is to train somebody to change their behavior, right? So I, I use this analogy all the time called baby manners. When you have a baby, even before it's verbal, you're saying, you wave goodbye to grandma, don't hit the dog and say, please. And this kid doesn't even speak yet. But as they get older, they've heard that so many times that they start to do those things and, yeah. and are well-mannered. But you still have to remind them and you really don't know if you have a well-mannered child until they're like 21 and you see them do something you know correctly and you're like oh thank heavens, <laughs> it took right i mean the leadership development is very much the same it's slow and steady constant reinforcement constantly you know, adding a little bit more adding a little bit more until you know in 10 15 20 years you have a well-developed leader in your organization but bringing people in from the outside, I mean, you have to kind of figure they're starting at zero. You shouldn't just go, oh, you are a manager somewhere else. Well then clearly you'll be a good manager here because they don't have your culture. They don't have your vision. So the the best way to do it was what your question was, was to do it in house, meaning develop people the way that you want them to developed to achieve the goals and the values and the culture of your organization. One of the biggest mistakes I see is especially at the senior leadership level, a lot of times they'll send somebody out to like Wharton or Harvard or Duke. Though first of all, those programs are in the tens of thousands of dollars. So I don't know why you would spend that much money on one individual. But secondly, it's very generic, right? Because they're there with 20 people from different industries. So they can't say this is how we do it in our industry or in our company. And then they come back with their generic ideas and you expect them to transform your organization. Well, it's like one voice yelling in the wind. You, you can't do that. You have to have a collective uplifting of the organization.
1: Yeah. It makes total sense. I for sure agree with that. I also, I think that the kid example is, is really spot on with it because the consistency of you having to say the same thing over and, over and over and over and over and over again before it really takes root. Um, it's also a little depressing. If you say I have to wait till 21 for all those
0: years to, to
1: start coming in with my kid, friend's house and that friend goes, your daughter's so polite.
0: And you're like, really, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that's great.
0: It to do it more at home. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that that's spot on. Our our COO here at Applied always says the the line that you have to, you know, say something. Well, if you're rolling something out, you say something ten times, ten times what you think you actually need to say, and then maybe people will start hearing it and processing it, and then probably just say it a few more times just to to be sure nice. to to really indoctrinate. Uh, and ingrain is probably a better word, those values and what you're trying to get across into the actual culture.
0: Mm-hmm. And part of that is also explaining why you're doing things the way you're doing, because mm-hmm. people don't like to you know, change their behavior and avoid. So not only saying it over and over again, but explaining why this is important to the future of the organization or the culture of the organization.
1: Hey, innovators is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation after over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry the answer is a resounding yes there are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology i have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, and explaining the why, that the particular stakeholder that you're talking to, from, explain the why from their vantage point. I think people fall into the trap of they have one why, and right. they try to use that same why across the entire company, which mm-hmm. the heart of the why is the same, but it impacts each person and stakeholder differently. And you need mm-hmm. to be aware of that and communicate that so that they can hear it and, and understand it and not be like, yeah, I get it for that guy, but
0: that's right. irrelevant for me. Right. And I, I find in my conversations with people, not leaders, but conversations with people in general who have jobs, they see themselves as having a job. And they don't really see themselves as having an integral part of the success of the organization. They definitely do, but nobody explained it to them, right? They just don't see how their contribution matters to the big picture or to the end goal. And that's such a simple thing to rectify.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, especially when you you talk about the new generations really coming into the the workforce. I, I think that that why how am I having the impact and what's the meaning behind what my job is to the overall company impact? I think that becomes even more um, yes. important and really fundamental in the younger generations. That's the, yes. they're really seeking that where the, the older generations seemed more okay with like, this is my role. This is my job. I'm good with that. I don't necessarily need to know the why impact of, of the rest of the company, but right. it, it is different in the different generations.
0: Yes. And there are even things I'm seeing in our in our HR press is that younger generations are even asking more questions at the interview. Like I never would have thought to do that 20 years ago to ask challenging questions back. But they want to make sure that they're working for an organization that has a good value system and contributes back to the community or the world in general. And so they're going to ask you those tough questions during the interview before they even take the job. They don't want to find out whether you do or don't once they accept the job.
1: Yeah, they're interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing them right. for sure.
0: Right.
1: Uh, so, what's the first step then that business should really think through when they come uh, trying to unpack succession planning?
0: So, we have a two day workshop that we do with the senior leaders of an organization. We put them all together in the same room so they can duke it out. <laughs> because <laughs> if everybody's not on board, it will crumble. So, you know, there's a lot of um, very constructive arguments that happen. And it's a two-day process. There's three distinct phases to it. And the first phase is first we figure out how vulnerable you are to losing your senior managers. And pretty much every organization now is vulnerable because You know, the the numbers for people who exited the workforce last year, I I think in total was a little over 12 million. But I remember September, October, November on the news, every time the numbers came out, they'd say, oh, it's a new high. Oh, it's a new high. (laughs) 4.2, 4.4, 4.5. So almost every organization, I can't think of one that wouldn't be susceptible to having vacancies at the senior leadership level. So mm-hmm. that's step number one is where where are those vacancies? And not only where are they today, but ask your people in senior leadership roles, what is your horizon for retiring? My my husband has it down to the day. You know, it's like two years and 94 days. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, the next day is two years and 93 days. I mean, he knows exactly when he's going to retire. So that's a pretty simple first step is to just ask your senior leader, where where do you think you're going to be in the next two, three, five years, because then you know what, how quickly you have to work and what you're working towards. One of the organizations that uh, we just finished working with, they have only nine senior leaders. It's a smallish firm. And five of them they know will be re- retired in the next 10 years. So in 10 years, they're going to lose half of that senior leadership team. Mm-hmm. And two of those will be leaving in the next year. So they have an immediate need, and then they have a, a long-term need. Now, obviously, that could change, but at least it gives them some scope. So step number one is figure out how vulnerable you are. And then step number two, which is kind of you know, part A and part B is so look around and who in this organization is capable of stepping up. Because the biggest problem that I see in all organizations, but construction especially, because it's lean and mean, is nobody's really grooming their successor. So that should be like your mantra if you're the CEO or the COO always. you have to have a successor in place and you have to be giving them the opportunities to learn what your job is about, how you do it, what's the big picture of the organization. I can't tell you how many people I meet who are in mid-level, know, director or VP level, who don't know the financials of a company. Only the senior leaders know the financials. Well, How am I supposed to help you make your organization successful if I don't even know, you know how much money we right. keep at the end of the day? There has to be a lot more transparency at the senior leader level if the organization wants to you know, stay solvent for the next 10 to 15 years. And it's, I do think that's why a lot of organizations are you know, combining with others right now because they can't, they just can't cut it on their own anymore. There's not enough personnel to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in construction, I think that the, the retirement problem is even more prevalent. Yeah, I heard the other day that the average age of worker in construction is 42, which mm-hmm. is like 15, 20 years over the, just the national generic average. Um, right. So there's, there's a lot of people- on the, the upper end of uh, the construction industry and we're not doing a great job of bringing in the, the younger blood into the, the industry. And so right. we already have the skilled labor shortage and it's just being exponentially impacted every single year as more people age out and, and retire out. Um, what do you think are some of the maybe unintended consequences for firms that don't think about succession planning?
0: I think they're gonna go out of business.
1: <laughs> Bottom line, that's a big even, unintended I didn't, consequence yeah, I didn't,
0: and i didn't even hesitate to answer that i have been saying for years you are you are going to be out of business in 10 years if you don't think forward especially again most in construction most organizations, I deal idealist medium and small organizations so in my world most of my organizations are run by the founders mm-hmm. so a lot of them never thought of their retirement, they didn't think of their succession planning, and now they're getting up there in years, late 60s, early 70s, and they're like, Gosh, am I gonna be running this the rest of my life, or do I enjoy the next you know, five, 10, 15 years? And that's why I, you know there was such an exodus of boomers last fall, as well as a lot of the, the pandemic made a lot of people re reevaluate their value system and what they really want to be doing for however many years they have left. And so, those who had jobs were able to leave, but those who own companies really have to get on this quickly because if you're not there, who is? Yeah. And I always like to tell my clients, although I don't like to say it, but I'm like, what if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? You know, <laughs> there's right. such poor succession planning in the industry that you get hit by a bus.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. How, how do you coach clients through the emotional aspect of it? Because it, if you've had your company, you built it from scratch, it probably even has your name as the company name. <laughs>
0: Or you've you've combined it into some like you, now, but
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I, I I'm the one that's, this is my company. I, I want to run it. It's it has my name attached to it. How do you coach them to maybe not necessarily let go of that emotional attachment but ease them and yes it, it has your name. Yes, you've done a great job for 30 40 years running it. But you still need to coach it and kind of take somebody under your wing to replace you eventually
0: it, it really to me is the word legacy what do you want your legacy to be mm-hmm. if you want this company to go on with your name and be a mm-hmm. pillar in the community then you will find a successor so it doesn't crumble when you leave otherwise it will fall apart
1: yeah makes sense i, I like the simplicity of that <laughs>
0: especially if you're not yeah and especially if you're not letting people in on you know the, the how that operation works yeah if you're not letting them know the financials, if you're not letting them know the time horizon for projects and planning, and you know, a lot of organizations in all of America, not just construction, but definitely um, in all organizations, they bring people up in silos. So if you join an organization in finance, generally all your promotions will be in finance. We never mm-hmm. think to make business people. That's another one of my soapboxes is we have to start making business people. They have to understand the marketing and the business development and the cost structure and the quality control. They just, they need to know more. Everybody in your senior leadership team should know how the whole business runs and then have a specialty area that they are the best at, but they Mm -hmm. shouldn't all be working in little isolated silos. And then you're the one person pulling it all together. Think about the time and the energy that that's, that we'll just call it the owner has to put into the process if they're dealing with every single person individually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're getting those calls at 9 p.m. and at 4 a.m. because something's gone wrong no there ought to be six eight twelve other people in the organization who could do your job
1: yeah well I also think it's it's bad business in having people in silos because for a marketing person not to know how it affects sales or it affects finances then you're not being holistic in your uh, approach to it and you're you're making each department suffer because yeah. no department works in a silo and in isolation. It impacts and has real world consequences for those other departments too. So the, the more they have knowledge of how those departments work in the kind of the, the structures and the, uh, right. the, the thinking and the mindsets of those departments, right. then they're able to adjust and say, okay, I can't do this move because it will negatively impact the side of the business and right you know, the do no harm approach. And instead, we're all just kind of fighting amongst ourselves instead of fighting with our competitors and trying to take market share.
0: Yes, thank you. Perfect.
1: Uh, so we, we've talked a lot about the, the retiring of the workforce, but we've also been going through the, the great resignation over the last uh, year now. So how has that great resignation really impacted uh, strategic succession management plan?
0: Well, companies are scrambling now because they didn't foresee it. They didn't plan for it. Gen X, which is chronologically the next generation to come up, doesn't necessarily want to come up. There's there's been a lot of studies about the generations in the workplace. I'm sure you know. One of the things that I find fascinating is this mindset that Gen X has that they are the lone wolves, they are the doers, give them a job, tell them when it's done, you know, when it needs to be done and they will get it done, but they're not really team players. And the one thing that I heard, um, which I mean, it was one mention, but it has stuck with me, which I thought was very interesting is they were the first uh, latchkey kids. They Mm. were the first ones who had two working parents. And so they came home and they were alone for a couple of hours every day and were able to manage themselves and not burn the house down. And they just have this real independent, streak, not only can I do it, I can do it myself, but also I don't really want to manage other people. (laughs) So one of the biggest problems I see is even though chronologically Gen X could be the next leaders, they're probably not your best choice because they're probably not going to stick around that much longer either, or they just don't have the inclination to it. That's obviously a very broad generalization. But I mean, I worked in industry for a long time and found being a manager exhausting and then decided to you know be a consultant because then I could just manage myself and hire on people as I needed them but I didn't I wasn't beholden to a group of 10 or 25. Yeah. It's exhausting so, being a manager.
1: <laughs> you spend a lot of time on the people problems, that's for sure. Right.
0: <laughs> and if you don't you have bigger people problems but one of the things I think we just do in general poorly is when we promote somebody to a management role we expect them to do a lot of functional things and the people things. And hmm. There's just too much. So what Mm. what, what do people get evaluated on? But the functional outcomes, right? Not the people outcomes, (laughs) unless like your whole department just walked out. You know, then they'll look at you and go, oh my gosh, what are you doing in terms of your people? But we evaluate people performance evaluations based on their functional output. So people do give short shrift to the, the people in their organizations.
1: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, so would you advocate flipping that mindset and managers should be graded more on the human element instead of the functional element?
0: I'm going to say something very radical, but I but I wrote an article on it like six, seven years ago, so I've believed in this for a long time. I really think the one manager model is obsolete. I think we need a two manager model, which obviously requires more personnel, but there are some people who are good at the people side and some people who are good at the functional side, and I don't yeah. know why we're trying to make functional people 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 <laughs> yeah. you know like you should have two managers and one make sure that everybody's on track and you know handling the conflicts, doing the coaching, doing the performance appraisals, and somebody else is driving their their function. I just think we need two, two managers. I think we need two CEOs at this point too. I think business is moving too fast and it's become too complex for one people one person to, A, be good at everything and B, keep all the balls in their mind at the same time. There's yeah. a few companies out there that have co-CEOs and I just think, I think that's the way to go.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting take because I agree that it is a rare person that can both manage functionally and get results, but also right. keep in touch with the the human element, and not try to to steamroll or you know do anything crazy like that. We have a, a saying here that uh, we want to find that balance between the results and relationships, and both are important because you can't have one without the other, really. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I haven't thought about the, the two manager approach, but but having one focus on the results and one focus on the relationship
0: but for years we did have people just focused on the results <laughs> right and and, and it works in thing. the
1: short term but it's not a but long term that's what term most strategy. of us have
0: seen as the uh, as the model so that's part of the shift we have to make as well as most you know most people had a manager coming up who was like just do your job right <laughs> because that's what we're here to do
1: right leave your problems at the door
0: right yes
1: yeah uh uh-huh. You can't, we're all human, so you, you can't really leave your problems at the door. It affects you at uh, one way or another. So I, I think you there's a there's a line there, you can't make it too personal all yeah. the time, but you also can't effectively for the long term turn that side off. Right. <laughs> when you come into the workforce, we're all gonna have good days, we're all gonna have bad days, just the way it and is. And
0: we s- as we said at the beginning, the Gen Z, which is our youngest generation entering the workforce now, they had just started working and then the pandemic hit. So they were the largest population to lose their jobs, but they're just going to force that change. They're not going to work for somebody who's not empathetic and who's not giving them constant feedback and telling them where their next growth opportunities are, how they could enhance their performance. They're just not going to work for a boss like that.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it earlier that the business is good right now in construction, you know, there's actually more business than, than what people can actually execute on. So the temptation is to beat the frog in the pot and and get comfortable and push the strategic investment off when things slow down, you know, Oh, I'll, I'll I'll think about that when I got more time right now, I'm just working on getting that business. So how would you encourage people to, to, to focus on the strategic future growth? now while business is good and not wait and what's the the benefit of doing it now instead of waiting
0: well that's why i say we're in a crisis because if you do wait all of a sudden it'll you know show up at your doorstep and you'll be like oh dang (laughs) (laughs) you know at that point you'll have no wiggle room right because you will not have groomed successors you're either gonna have to sell your company or close it because you don't have anybody to take over and that, that was just poor planning. So, I mean, I, I say to people all the time, you buy insurance, <laughs> you, you, you know, plan your, you want your child to have a college degree because six years, eight years from now, that's going to be a payoff. Like we think long-term in other areas of our lives, or we think, how do we protect our assets in other areas of our lives? But for some reason, especially in this industry, owners and, and operators don't think like that. And obviously we're running lean and mean to begin with. And then Like you said, business is good. So we are really, there's no time to do it. That's the problem. And I completely empathize with that. So if you want your business to be here in 10 or 15 years and you want to leave a legacy, you're just going to have to make the time to do it. And that's why I try to do it and at least get the process started in this two-day, put everybody together event. I realize you know that takes people off the job but we'll never do it via zoom meetings we'll never do it via piecemeal meetings with this department and that department everybody's got to be there everybody by the end of the two days has to understand what the vision is what the goals are and buy into the process so we can move rapidly through it so i guess that's mm-hmm. the solution is if we take two days and and figure out the big questions then we can rapidly rapidly start addressing them but if we don't do that then you know we're just going to constantly be buffeted by calamities we didn't
1: see coming. Yeah. Well, it also takes a lot of time to put in place and to train somebody to come up. So if you're, you're waiting for the slowdown to happen a couple of years to, and so by the time you actually get somebody in place and it's, everything's running smooth, you're probably already through that crisis period and you miss your opportunity. And so now you're trying to play catch up when you get the person in the seat to to be the leader and you've got them all trained up where I like the insurance Example and, and mindset of it that you get insurance for when the crisis happens, you're covered and you're good. So, right. put it in place now on the leadership side so that when the slowdown happens, when the crisis happens, you're already good. You're not having to train while the, the bus is crashing and, and you're trying to pick right. up the pieces. Yeah.
0: Assemble the plane while it's, while it's in there. Right, right. 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 The but, but you can't train at that point either because it's a behavior and you can't train people into a behavior. Yeah, <laughs> That's like I point. say to people like, when I speak, I'm like, what's your favorite color? Blue? Well, you're wrong, right? <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> you can't get people to change their mind, the way they speak, the way they behave. You just don't do that in a training class. It's constant reinforcement, like baby manners again. And it's yeah. walkable Talk. and having people understand you know, like families say all the time like we don't we don't do that in this family right we don't behave like that we don't we don't swear in this family like families have rules right businesses can too. like we don't operate that way we operate this way and we constantly right. reinforce it
1: yeah absolutely so let's say somebody's identified the person but they're they're great at the technical aspect of their job they're great at the the hands-on activity that's kind of where they function but they somebody wants to groom them and kind of shift their mindset into the the leadership role and the vision casting. How do you go about that that mindset shift from technical hands-on person to leadership vision casting?
0: Well, first of all, ask them if they want that role, which is the (laughs) super obvious answer that nobody does, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to promote Todd. Todd's going to take over for me. Did anybody ask Todd if he wanted this role? Then you have to tell them, look, this is probably a three year or five year process. Here's the way I see it happening. What parts of this interest you? What parts of this don't interest you? Years ago, I had a, a relative who was offered a supervisory position at his company, and he'd been there like 20 years at that point. And over the course of you know many decades, he'd constantly been offered a supervisory position. He always turned it down, and I thought he was nuts until one day I realized, yeah, management's hard. I can see why you just want to do your individual contributor role because at the end of the day, you just leave, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, a, some people may not even be inclined to do it. B. They don't know what they don't know, so you have to be a lot more open and transparent, and that's why, in my opinion, the, the best approach, especially in this industry, again, is through mentoring. You have to have up-and-coming leaders paired with more than one, not necessarily at the same time, but expect that over the course of the next three to five years, you're going to pair them with two or three senior leaders in the organization, you're going to let them start sitting in on those senior leader meetings, just sit at the back of the room. They don't have to contribute, but they have to start understanding the types of conversations that come up, the things that are considered, how decisions are made. You you just, it's osmosis, right? You have to be in the process to understand the process, to understand the behavior. yeah. And also allow people to opt out. Yeah, for sure. Years ago, I had a manager in a job. She was in the job for like three months and she came to us all and she's like, I'm, I'm going back down and I can't take this. And I thought, wow. <laughs> First, I was like shocked that anybody would do that. And secondly, I was very impressed that somebody would do that. She's like, this is not what I thought it was.
1: Yeah. That takes a lot of guts and humility to come like, to the table and admit that. But like, hey, this is not my spot,"
0: And not just like flee and go, I'm going to go to get another job. She stayed in the company. She just said, I have to go back down to the role I had before. I just don't like this.
1: Yeah. Props for error. Yeah, that's awesome. Because uh, there is something to it, you know, of you might be a rock star as the individual contributor and you're just, you're a bad manager. And maybe it goes back to the, the two manager approach concept, um, of you're really good at production and maybe you're not as strong on the, the people side. Um, and you know, kind of forcing in that, that you have to be both in Today's world of, of management. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting train of thought. Uh, well, how do people find out more information and, and connect with you and find out what you're up to?
0: Well, trainingdr.com is the website. You can learn about the strategy sprint there. We do a number of uh, different events throughout the year. In a couple of weeks, we're doing an executive roundtable. I do a number of um, interviews every quarter and ask. CEOs, owners, HR people, training people when they exist, but they don't usually, um, what are they doing about leadership development? So about once, actually three times this year, I think I'm doing an executive round table where I'm bringing together those CEOs and owners and saying, okay, this is what I've learned about leadership development in your organization or in your industry. And I can tell you right now, nothing's being done. I mean, literally as a blanket statement, nothing's being done. There are pockets, but there's no urgency yet, which is, you know, which was the beginning of our conversation, right? Yeah. Or you can, you can always find me on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Well, you don't have to use do Dr. part, but it's Nanette, N-A-N-E-T-T-E. My first name is spelled wrong. <laughs> Minor, M-I-N-E-R. Um, and the training doctor's on LinkedIn too. So you can follow either me or the training doctor on LinkedIn.
1: Nice, awesome. Well, last question for you. What does innovation mean to you?
0: I would guess never sitting back on your worlds, right? I mean, always looking for the next iteration, the next opportunity. Don't be afraid to put your wild ideas out there. I think I've given you at least two of my wild ideas today, right? Like something has to happen to shake up not only this industry, but leadership development in general, because I really do think organizations are, are about to implode. Yeah. By 2030, I really think they're going to implode. And it was just because they didn't plan for a transition of everybody who's been in leadership roles for the last 20 years. They're all boomers. They're all going to age out. And we're like, oh, wow, we didn't really get anybody else (laughs) prepared, did we?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's a great answer. Don't be complacent on the innovation front. And it ties in perfectly with uh, the leadership development. Don't be complacent just because things are good right now. Don't be complacent. Go, uh, you know, be bold. Think the future.
0: What's the worst that can happen? That's my
1: motto. What's the worst that can happen?
0: Let's go, (laughs) let's plan against that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to, to join the show. This was a great conversation. Thank you,
0: Todd. Thanks for having me.
1: And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, every company wants to have great leaders throughout the organization. However, too many organizations are not intentional about investing and developing people to become those great leaders. Nanette said we should almost think of leadership development as our insurance policy, in that if we properly invest in our people, it is there when we need to rely on it. Second take, as the younger generations are coming more into the workforce, it is becoming even more critical to explain the why behind why every job matters to the mission of the company and the positive impact it is having. Final take, down with silos across the board. We need cross-collaboration, especially in this industry. The more viewpoints and knowledge, the better. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at ASDI.com. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.